Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl. How are you today? Oh, I am I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Pretty good. And I I, I want to do something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Oh gosh. So your name is Tamara, mm-hmm. and there is a horror movie called The Strangers, in which the name Tamara figures in a very pivotal way. Oh, really? And there's a line that one of the characters says, and I've, I've always wanted to say it in a public way, and I want to say it on this show. <laughs> no. <laughs> she says... Is Tamara here? <laughs> <laughs> well, is that it? That that's it. Wait, let me let me do it again. Really, what it should be preceded by is imagine a knock on a very large wooden door making a very ominous and hollow sound. Okay. And then is Tamara here. Is that better? <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. So what is The Strangers? So The Strangers is a, oh my gosh, was it 2008, 2009? You are correct, it's 2008. Like one of these horrifying, like, random home invasion stories. Ugh. Liv Tyler is in it, Scott <gasps> Speedman. And they're like, you know, they're out in this quasi-remote house you know past suburbia Mm -hmm. and um they're having some relationship tension and none of that really matters anymore when three random strangers decide to terrorize them in the home wearing creepy masks Mm -hmm. and there's no motivation other than the fact that they were home oh no yeah, we were talking, it's kind of a good segue, home domestic horror, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that ties in very closely with our letter for this week and the movie we watched. House horror, I don't know if that's a thing. That's something that I just said in, in our little uh, pre-tape discussion. I called it house horror, but... It could be like house horror, domestic, domestic horror. Yeah. Which sound I don't know, that sounds weird, domestic horror, but um yeah. <laughs> and given that it's a pandemic and we're all in our homes a lot, uh, and that was no doubt the uh, the inspiration, you know, for the person who who wrote our letter this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll give our little our little t- tagline spiel at the beginning because I'm, I'm trying to have some sort of kind of consistency with saying this okay so so the premise of our show which is called dear final girl uh dear final girl is the advice and horror podcast that dishes on life and other scary stories we are like your dear abbies of horror um we take your letters um and your concerns and we relate them to a horror film and and discuss them in parallel. Yeah. 
Well said. I think this is getting better and better. Uh, I agree. Oh, we have we have some visitors outside the window, outside oh, my window. It's the sequel. The strangers are outside <laughs> the window. Yeah. Um, my husband and my son Sebastian showed up in that. So I've got French doors behind me, and um, it's one of my big fears that I'm going to be on a Zoom call and a stranger is going to show up in one of those doors and I'm going to see it in the Zoom call, but like, Ooh. you know, or that the person that's on the Zoom is going to see what's happening before I do. Um, so that was just a, a cute little two-year-old. I'm like, Hi. Yeah. Well, before you talk about cute little two-year-olds, just remember Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery, because that little <laughs> that little toddler turned into an undead homicidal maniac. Oh, little Gage, Gage. Little Gage. Yeah. So, I taught this girl, um, wonderful kid, uh, really great. Um, her, I taught her and her sister and great family and. Um, but she got married and had a little baby and she named the child Gage. And I think they meant like Gage in your ears, but also mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I told a friend of mine before we went over to this baby shower <laughs> and I was like, okay, so you know that this is the name of the child in Pet Cemetery, And she's like, I did not. But now I can't unsee it. Thank you. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, it's a it's a whole nother domestic horror thing trying to choose the name of your children. Um, I had a problem because I had taught, and so all of these children's, uh, well, high school or teenagers, uh all of their personalities that really have nothing to do with the name were all tied up in the name for me. So I, I had a really tough time um, <laughs> choosing names. Anyways, um, cool. So we are going to talk about a little piece of domestic horror. Uh, would you like for me to go ahead and read the letter? Yes, that would be wonderful. Okay. So uh, Dear Final Girl, I'm lonely. Everyone is feeling isolated, but I can't seem to bring myself to reach out to my friends. I'm afraid of coming off as needy, even though I feel lonely. I worry about every social interaction I want to have. I overthink every text message, every phone call, every email to a friend. The more I want to reach out to someone, the more I worry. It's like I've forgotten how to have friends. How can I get out of my own way? Well. Yeah. Gosh, I feel this one so deeply. <laughs> me too. And like, you know, like I said before, like it just seems really inspired by our pandemic world. Um, I literally, I tomorrow, I am going to see three people who I work with, who I absolutely adore. We're doing, we're doing a Girl Scout cookie drop-off thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Go uh, on. I ordered Thin Mints and Tagalongs, Tagalongs in case anybody is interested in knowing. Um, 
I have not seen them, any of them, since last year, like March of last year. Mm -hmm. And I am so excited to see them. And I had this moment of absolute panic earlier today where I was like, oh, God, I'm, like, going to go somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to go somewhere. Yeah. Like, uh, and I'm, like, had these competing feelings of I so want to see my friends and I don't want to leave my house. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole uh, agoraphobia thing takes on a totally different light in a pandemic. You know, we, um, I don't want to minimize agoraphobia. Obviously that is a, a very serious um, diagnosis and mental illness. And um, I don't want to um, uh, minimize that by like doing the, oh, I, I'm so OCD because I, you know, do the dishes every day, you know, but I, I think that sort of the fear of going outside right now and seeing people is so deep that like we're all, we're all experiencing trauma right now. And we, even if we have ways that we can deal with it or see people um it is sort of triggering every time that you you know think about trying to call a friend like calling people is perfectly safe right but um those social interactions that we are now sort of out of practice of are are becoming more and more difficult yeah, and and the the letter made um, for a really interesting selection uh, for this week's movie. Uh, we watched Darling, mm. um, a twenty fifteen film. I've heard about this film for you know for a while now, mm -hmm. um, and hadn't made my way around to seeing it, um, and. Um, like I said, I think it was, <laughs> it was, it was a really, it was a really, um, good pick and it was, um, it was, um, written and directed by Mickey Keating and I, I will admit I did not do my research. Right. Um, he's done, he's done a few other films, uh, Ritual and Pod Following Darling and then Carnage Park and Psychopaths before, huh. um, before Darling. And I think um, the the main actress, whose name is Lauren Ashley Carter, she was also in Pod. Oh, okay, great, great. Yeah, and I wonder, like, I would I would actually like to watch some of his other films and see if his aesthetic. Like, what does he do with his aesthetic in other films? Because the aesthetic was so specific yeah. in this movie. Mm -hmm. And you, there are directors who have, I mean, all directors have a particular style, but I think there, there are directors who are, are kind of like a level beyond that where it's not just a style, but it's, it's, 
it is it's it's like it's a very specific aesthetic like i think of um oh my god i'm gonna forget his name i've completely forgot peter strickland peter strickland i believe mm-hmm. who did um in fabric and um berberian sound studio i i think of like like directors like michael mann where they just have there's just there is a very specific tone and feel and soundscape that's really beyond like the kinds of shots that they use yeah um and this film this film definitely had a very specific aesthetic yeah i was um I mean, if we want to start from the very beginning, I thought, well, even before the movie starts, there is a warning, at least on Amazon, that there are flashing lights and hallucinatory images, which already had me, like, get my guard up. Like, okay, like, this this one's going to be scary. You know, like, the the flashing lights, I think also I'm, I'm a little sensitive to those. I have um, seizures in my family and I have migraine. And so, like, I couldn't look directly, and maybe everybody is this way, but I couldn't look directly at the screen when the flashing lights were happening. Um, It didn't, like, cause me to have any, um, I didn't have a seizure or anything, but I I definitely was like, nope, nope, not okay. (laughs) Like, my brain was like, do not look at this. This is not okay. Um, But when you're talking about the aesthetic, the first you know two minutes of opening shots are this like smoky and foggy black and white the whole film is black and white um smoky and foggy new york city right around it looked to me like central park west hell's kitchen that sort of area um i know that those are two different areas but (laughs) like um you could see there were pictures of the park and there were pictures of like the old cisterns on top of buildings and lots of smoke and fog. And it, it definitely evoked a particular feeling when we start, um, almost not even cold, but just kind of like, I don't know, just dampness and, feeling enclosed yeah and almost like a kind of kind of a a distance and a remove and i mean that's why so the 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 plot of this film is um there's a young woman we only know her by the name of darling Mm -hmm. she takes a house sitting gig um at a house that is that is known like this house has a history like it's known for maybe being haunted Mm -hmm. or things happening there and even the the woman who owns the home who we only know she's only called ma'am in the film but her her official character name is madam or madame whatever Mm -hmm. you want to say um and she relays some of the history of the house to darling as darling has arrived and you know we we don't know how long Darling is going to be staying. We just know that she's going to be in this very big house alone. Um, and as we learn about Darling, um, we learn that that's probably not a really great thing for her to be in a big 
haunted house alone. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So let's uh, let's talk about the the plot a little bit for those who haven't seen it. There are six chapters. Yes. Six chapters. Six chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, each one. So the first one is her. Chapter one is her. We get an introduction to Darling, but it also seems like we kind of get an introduction to the house and the spookiness of the house, including the weird room at the end of the hallway that she can't get into. Right. Right. And there's like she the early scenes, there's an exploration of the house and this, the producers of this film are the same producers of the House of the Devil and the innkeep, the uh, innkeepers. Uh-huh. I haven't seen the innkeepers, but with House of the Devil, you have a similar, um, you've got a similar kind of plot plot set up where there's a young, a vulnerable young woman. She is basically doing some house sitting, and she's exploring the house. And, you know, there are some, some corners of the house that are, you know, kind of particularly sinister. And she's right. there alone. Okay. God. Oof. Um, do not like. I did, I, like, ah. all of the, uh, I was telling you before we started recording that I had to set myself, like, I had to remove myself a little bit because these types of movies... Um, make me these are the types of movies that stick with me because you're in a house because you you know even if you know every corner of your house like there's still sort of the like the creepiness or the um, unknowableness of your own house at night or when the lights are off Mm. or, you know, when you get up to go to the bathroom, everything is dark and different and not how you normally see it. And so I've talked about this before, like when I was pregnant with, um, Francis that I was like, well, nope, not, not watching anything because I like get up at three in the morning and went to the bathroom and like, I did not need to be seen the Babadook or whatever it was <laughs> while I was going to the bathroom. The Babadook is like one of those that I really bought into and then it stuck with me. Like yeah. I allowed myself to do the, uh, to suspend disbelief and it stuck with me a long time. So I had to like sit myself at a remove for this one. I was like, I'm not buying into this one where I'm, consistently telling myself this is not real this is just a movie <laughs> yeah and yeah you silly. know like oh my gosh can't we all buy into the letter this letter at this point in time yeah you know it's um <laughs> you know so the the woman the woman in the film is i mean you just it's difficult to talk for me. I've, it's difficult to talk about her character because she's obviously, and I'm doing air quotes right now. Mm-hmm. She's obviously troubled, right? right? She's troubled. We don't know why. We find out later um, if we can believe anything in this film, but yeah. we we find out later. 
I mean, she's very anxious. She's very, she's very, um, I think she, she has a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is going to be, she doesn't have relationships with people. Right. Um, she just, she does not have relationships with people. We don't know what her, like, we really don't know about her family history. We learned that, that she was, um, she was sexually assaulted. We learned Mm -hmm. that later in the film. Um, so she lives in a very, a very, a very solitary way in a way, you know, the boundaries of her body are very much her world Mm -hmm. and yet she's in this house that has a a a persona of its own so it's interesting that you say that because I thought I felt like she, she was almost being presented as an empty vessel and the house the uh the monster that's in the locked room is what possesses her and is the the darling and that actually carries out a lot of the horror but through her um but i can absolutely see where you're coming from that and the reason that i believe that is because we see her in a chain of uh, caretakers. And so the caretaker that was there before that jumped off the balcony um, and the madam, ma'am, um, it said, well, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but the previous caretaker dropped off, uh, jumped off the balcony. And you can kind of see it's not like her face lights up, but she's definitely like, oh, really? Interesting. Um, you know, once the tea on that, once the once the gossip on that. But then, like, I felt like it wasn't until she started, say, repeating those words that were marked on the bedside table that she really started to, um, and I couldn't write them down. I refused to write them down. I I wrote them down. Will it bother you if I say them? Not at all. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. So it was abyssus, abysm, invocat, which means hell calls to hell, or more broadly, one misstep leads to another. Oh, interesting. And the interesting thing is, is I had, and I don't, I don't know what it was I saw, what what it was I read or where or how, but I I came across very recently the expression deep calls to deep. Uh Uh-huh. And I think, you know, hell calls to hell, deep calls to deep, very similar. Yeah. Because um, I thought like, okay, if I'm going to be responsible here, I got to look up what these words mean. <laughs> you know? Very um, responsible of you. I was too freaked out to like 
write them down. I was like, nope. Okay. I was like, I know that is Latin and I have, I know it means like, you know, calling something yeah. for the abyss, but I was like, nope. Yeah. And that, and I think it at first appeared, so chapter, so as you mentioned, this movie, um, is divided. It has this very specific, and you could, in a way, say artificial construct. Mm-hmm. There's like the insertion of these title cards that announce that we're heading into different chapters. And um, you mentioned chapter one is her. Chapter two is invocation, thus the link to invocat. Mm-hmm. And then that continues. That continues throughout. There are only a few times. So, so as you mentioned, the film is largely black and white. There's some color at the very beginning. Um, the one of the chapter title cards, it's chapter five. I, no, yeah, chapter five for Inferno. That title card has color. Oh. And then at the end, they superimpose the name of the film again. And it's mm. in like this really like cursive, elegant sort of, you know, kind of making you think of a much earlier time, <laughs> you know, right. this elegant cursive script gar- darling and this, this pink, pink is like this complimentary color at the beginning and the end of this film. Yeah. Um, I, so let, let's really quickly run through the plot. Um, now at 25 minutes in, um, her, we get an introduction to the housekeeper. She goes and looks around the house. Um, she's got this sort of like Wednesday Adam chic thing going on. She's, oh, that's very good. Yes, she does. And I saw something briefly mentioned that this actress is considered the Audrey Hepburn of horror. Uh, which I, I think with the hairstyles, she has a bouffant later on and she starts out with this like very straight curled at the end. I wore that style a lot in high school. Um, <laughs> there's also this crucifix that she finds in the drawer as she's kind of unpacking, but it's a crucifix uh, turned upside down and reattached and she's like, oh, cool, you know, picks it up and, like, carries it with her, apparently. Um, this was also the moment that I realized I didn't know how to spell crucifix. Um, <laughs> um, and then the ma'am, the madam, she's, like, assuring her in the beginning, oh, you know, well, call us anytime. Here's the number. Call anytime, even if you just want to chat. And so she's say she's opening up those lines of communication. And the ma'am, you see her calling over and over again during this movie, and Darling pulls back into herself. Um, chapter two, invocation, whole lot of just like Darling going around the house in her dress, in her slip, which I thought was really interesting how they did some like vulnerability stuff with her in her underwear versus like the armor of her Wednesday Adam clothes. And by Wednesday Adams, I mean like the 
the lace collar, the white cuffs, and sort of like a, I don't want to say a bib, but sort of a lace front to her dress. Right. I mean, she's definitely presented as if she's she's very childlike. Um, with with that particular dress, that kind of Wednesday Adams dress, like very childlike, which I think makes the the juxtaposition of the slip mm-hmm. like really provocative because it's almost like she's playing dress up. Like that slip is of a bygone era. I mean, nobody wears those anymore. You know, the full slip where you've uh-huh. got you've got like the lace top, and it's pretty much you know what the full it, it's the full length of what a what a, a dress that would go to your knee would be and the lace you know, the slip is too big yes it is yeah. too big for her it's too big in the chest it's too long you can tell that the uh straps are like hitched all the way up and so it makes her look tiny i mean she is tiny but yeah um, but in chapter two, she also kind of like explores the house. She goes up to the balcony. She like tests out the railing. It looks like it's like four or five stories up. So we, you know, we've got Chekhov's gun that was talked about in the first, <laughs> the face you just made at that. But, you know, it's talked about in the first act and it, uh, actually shows up in the second act. Um, and also we start to get some supernatural things where her bedroom door opens by itself in the middle of this thunderstorm as she's looking at the uh, uh, invo- hell calls to hell uh, invocation. Um, chapter three is called Thrills. Oh, I, I regretted to, or I neglected to mention also regretted um, <laughs> that in chapter one, yeah, chapter one, she meets some guy on the street and he's like, hey, you dropped this being her crucifix. And she has visions of maybe him hurting her or her hurting him. It's unclear. So chapter three and it starts to kind of, if I can just, just briefly yeah. say, it starts to tell, because we've already had the interjection of these kind of like these, these like really brief, almost sub, like subliminal cuts where like her, of, of horrific things, like behind the surface of things, there are these kind of like quick cuts of these like just scenes of horror random horror Mm -hmm. you can't really tell what's going on Mm -hmm. so my impression was early on and maybe i missed it but i didn't get the impression of a i didn't get the strong impression of a a backstory in hit in her interaction with him no my take my takeaway and maybe it was wrong was that you know, this girl is so, I mean, clearly something has happened to her, but she's so kind of in alone and in her own private world that's just, you know, any kind of interaction is painful. It's mm-hmm. just any kind of interaction is is almost traumatic. Well, because 
And I agree with you on that because she follows him like, sorry, he taps her on the shoulder, says you drop this, which is her crucifix. And she like freaks out over it, goes around the corner, drops all of her groceries and then decides to follow him back to his apartment. And then in chapter three, Thrills, she follows him down into a bar called Thrills, two exclamation points, um, and seats herself at the bar and waits for him to come in to his, you know, neighborhood bar. Um, so she seems throughout this entire interaction with him at the bar, just terrified of talking to him. And it's and pissed. Yeah. Kind of pissed too. Just kind of like very, just like challenging any possible expectation or conclusion, any kind of trite chat, getting to know you mm-hmm. that, that he has for her. Right. Um, and then she like, goes to the bathroom, cries in the mirror for a while, and then comes back out and is like, you want to come home with me? Like, aggressively. Do you want to come back to my place? Um, and... and they've had gin shots, which I did not know was a thing. No, it's so weird. How can, like, gin is horrible... Except when it's well mixed, like gin shot are gin shots a thing? I did not know. No, they anyway, are not a thing. They're they're putting them away. <laughs> right. Um, she invites him back to her house and then says it's free, and so that to me was like, okay, maybe he frequents call girls and she knows this, or um, that was a concern of his but once he's like oh oh it's free okay cool i mean free could also mean that her place was like open and nobody else was there but i took it as like you come home with me and what we do is free yeah um yada 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 they talk a little bit she calls him by his name henry um or, or what, what we, we assume what we, is his name yeah. yeah um and then she's like uh what did you expect from me why didn't you ask me my name i remember everything about that night why did you do it why did you pick me and she starts stabbing him and like she walks into the kitchen and then walks back out carrying the knife by her side and just like totally takes him by surprise, comes around the table and stabs him. Um, yeah, and they just had this conversation about whether like, you know, are you a nice guy? Are you one of the good guys? Yeah. And so what we learn is that she believes this man to be, she believes this man to be the man who sexually assaulted her in a, at, at a prior time. Um, and this, this now, 
uh, it would appear she's wrong. <laughs> it would appear that she is wrong. Yeah. Um, um, now, what this did, what this, when she started saying these things about, like, I remember everything about that night. So clearly it's like, oh, who, who, okay, this was like they had, they had something prior, like something happened. Right. And it caused me to reevaluate the earlier scenes where she had interacted with him on the street and was clearly so horrified because at the time I interpreted that interaction to be like, this is a woman who is so kind of something terrible, something or many terrible things have happened. She's, she's that have locked her inside herself that any kind of interaction that has any kind of intimacy, any kind of closeness is horrific to her. And then we find out later that she believes him to be this man who assaulted her earlier. And it reminded me, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I had just heard this past weekend, um, there's a really great podcast called Hidden Brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, good old Shankar Vedantam. Oh, Shankar Vedantam, the best name on NPR. <laughs> and this particular episode was why we love surprises. Why do we fall in love with surprise endings? It turns out that our capacity to be easily fooled in books and movies is made possible by a, a handful of predictable shortcuts. Anyway, we'll put the we'll put the link to this uh, in one of our tweets. But they specifically talk in the podcast about movies where there is a you're you're carried along with believing a certain believing a certain number of things. And something happens that causes you to reevaluate everything that came before. Mm -hmm. And in the podcast, the films that are talked about are The Usual Suspects and also um, The Sixth Sense. I was just thinking The Sixth Sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where you just like, you kind of, you have this moment in the movie where you stop and you reevaluate like all the prior scenes and everything kind of changes. But then we find out in this film that like even this new truth that we think is the truth isn't the truth. Right. Uh, so, yes, that was a, a, a problematic area for me because once she starts calling him by, his, by the name Henry, I was like, was that his name? Did we ever get his name? Was that like him talking quietly in the bar? But no, she says, why didn't you ask me my name? Assuming that he knew who she was and that this wasn't like a unnamed tryst, right? Um, <clears throat> a lot to unpack there. Uh, but quickly after she starts stabbing him and... Uh, there's also, she's like, you know, I remember everything about that night. Why did you do it? Why did you pick me? And he says, F you, hits her in the face, which I was kind of like, all right, yeah, fighting back. All right. Like somebody's stabbing you. If, if a woman is stabbing a man, he has the right to punch her in the face. I'm sorry, I may be uh, like 
<laughs> I may be losing a little bit of my feminist cred there, but maybe that is absolutely feminist. If somebody's stabbing you, you have the right to hit them in the face. I agree with you. <laughs> that is called self-defense. Yeah. And sometimes men have to practice it. Just like, as much as women do, yeah. Just as much as what? Maybe not just as much. But right, right, right. there are there are situations there there have been documented cases. <laughs> right. Um so he hits her in the face and then she's like WTF bro and really starts <laughs> stabbing and like just all over the place. Okay, so then we have chapter four, demon. So he's dead. She's kind of walking around. Oh nope, he gasps. And so she like ties a plastic bag over her head, which actually reminded me a lot of Black Christmas. Just that that was one uh, of the ways uh. that, um, except for this was a black plastic bag. So we didn't see his face, which I think was smart on the part of the, um, on the part of the filmmaker, because then the actor can worry about like, actually breathing under the plastic bag instead of like acting like he's dying right um you know that that the way what it was when uh, he when that black plastic bag was basically like duct taped oof. you know around his neck it reminded me <clears throat> so one of the one of the other one of the images we talked about earlier is like the slip, right? Her slip. And like, what are all the meanings oh. of that slip? And she, when she, whenever she's out and whenever she leaves the house, there is often behind her, um, she's standing against like some kind of uh -huh. board where like, you know, you would see like old advertisements posted. Mm -hmm. Or something like that and there's always this poster behind her and it's it's like it's you can tell that it's a figure and in one of the scenes in particular you get kind of better look it's like this figure it's like a it's it's a cartoonish really type type image um, like this figure has like a very, a large head, a smaller body and, and small legs and appears to be dressed in this really kind of antiquated type clothing. And it's really hard to get a clear image of what is it. Uh, it it's hard to, to get a clear sense of what this image is mm -hmm. because it seems like parts of the image are actually formed by like pieces of paper that have been torn or worn yeah. away just like you see old posters mm -hmm. out on telephone poles or whatever and they start to get, lose pieces of themselves you yeah. know and when i saw um you know quote unquote henry um in that with that black bag over his head it really reminded me of that it's of a that really image, good call that poster yeah, because I had seen the poster, but I hadn't connected that with Henry. That's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, at this point, this is where it turns into 
um, sort of the gore and like death stuff. So there's a lot in chapter four, demon and chapter five, inferno. That's when you get, we are in the ninth circle of hell, right? We are the, um, the guy's dead. Oh, nope. He's not dead. And then she has to pull him into the bathtub and like the knife that was on the ground. Um, I don't know if you noticed this and maybe it was just like one of those weird um, inconsistencies, but the knife that was on the ground when she pulled him out of the room, it was sort of on the left side of the uh, picture. And then when she goes back to clean up the dining room where she had killed him, which there is not nearly enough blood for. I agree. <laughs> uh, like she stabbed the shit out of that guy and there is not nearly enough blood for that. Um, but the knife is over on the right hand side. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, and I don't know if that was just a like production inconsistency, but I was kind of like, wait a second, the knife moved. Um, she's, she's got him into the bathtub Then she goes back out and she washes the knife. She washes her hand. She cleans up those, those parquet floors that have got to be a pain in the ass to get blood out of. Like if there is ever a reason to not kill one, to kill someone, it is because you've got to clean up the blood out of your hardwood floors. Yeah, and all the little, all the little grooves in between. The, oh my <laughs> god! Know, the and... Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then she cleans it up, and then that damn phone, which is a character in itself, starts mm -hmm. ringing again. She doesn't answer. She hangs it up. Um, she goes back to bed. Goes in and checks on the body. Is having visions a little bit starts saying the Latin on the table. We can see the body start moving out of the tub and oh no, her bedroom door opens again and the body of Henry or whoever is standing outside of her door, but now with this black plastic bag on his head. Oh, Jesus, Max. Oh. <laughs> Max just slid something under the door. <laughs> The French, he is, this, he is this looming figure in, behind this French door. I trying not to interrupt you. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, talking about like the scariest moments in the, <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Here I was hoping that would be the least disruptive thing. No, that was terrifying. Um, oh, my work here is done. Oh my gosh, speaking of terrifying, I literally wrote, for chapter five, Inferno, which is the first time that the title card is in color. It's the first color that we've seen in the film uh -huh. since the very beginning. And I literally typed, holy hell, the gore. Because, yep. I mean, they show it through a series of, of cuts, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, it's not a, it's not like a continuous scene or a continuous shot, mm -hmm. but clearly she is in the process of dismembering Henry 
and I literally had my ma- my hand over my mouth. Yeah. The whole time because it's like I'm not feeling nauseous, but if there was going to be a time that I would vomit, this would be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I had to get up and get some Girl Scout cookies while this was happening because not only okay, and maybe this is significant. Um she's got the hacksaw and the hammer. She's in her cocktail dress. She's stripping down the body, right? And then she starts using the hacksaw. Oh, excuse me. She brings in the hacksaw and hammer and then closes the door. And I, for one, was like, oh, okay, this is fine. Um, but then we get these clips, the hacksaw, and there's blood spurting out of the body, which I was like, oh no, he's still alive. Like a, a dead body doesn't have blood like s- spraying like that. Um, and then the hammer and she like is very obviously putting a claw hammer behind his teeth. That is, I, I we really should have given some sort of trigger warning because that, I mean, okay, never mind. <laughs> trigger warning at the beginning of the film so we might as well yeah exactly like um there's and then there's just blood everywhere and there was a point in here and i can't remember when um that and it must be in chapter four that after he's dead She's in the shower and just naked and the water's running on her and the water's running clear. But then sometime in chapter five in Inferno, she gets into the shower and it's uh, the same picture, but with blood running off of her. I think that that's really genius the way that they build up these images over and over again. Um, And... Also, like, the sparseness of so much of the earlier, like, the silence, the fog, all of that. And then in Demon and Inferno, you get all of that blood. Um, And then it it becomes very intense. Yeah, and that's very much like what I mentioned earlier, House of the Devil, which was produced by the same group. Mm -hmm. Very similar. It's like this young woman alone in a house, and everything's pretty quiet. You know, she's just kind of trying to make herself at home. She's exploring the house. I mean, the whole thing is very creepy and foreboding. And then all of a sudden, you know, just like the shit hits the fan, She's been, uh, I, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I think she's been drugged. And all of a sudden, she wakes up and she's basically strapped to the floor on top of like a pentagram. And the soundtrack is just like frying your brain. You know? And the same kind of thing. And it's interesting because what you were saying about the quietness of it, and we were talking about the aesthetic of the film there for most of the film a good part of the film it feels like this the movie is like a series of still life of like still life photographs Mm -hmm. and it's very hyper real but then you'll get like these little little 
quick cuts of this like like horrific mm-hmm. scenes. You can tell there's violence, there's horror, there's terror. You don't really you don't know why, you don't know what. But then I kind of thought like, oh, still life, like still life. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's with- still alive. Well, just that her, like, she is leading this still life. I thought about the letter mm-hmm. and, you know, the feelings of of feeling alone, uh, wanting to reach, feeling lonely, wanting to reach out, but not wanting to reach out, and, like, kind of a life that feels frozen. And her early experience is really just captured in this series of these, like, shots of the house and her moving through it. Then, like you said, like, you know, it's it's only at the end of the film that just, like, hell breaks loose. Yeah. And um, I think that's interesting that you say that because the choice that Darlene makes at the end is not, of course... <laughs> or in the middle even is not the choice that anybody else would make right like we we wouldn't make the choice to reach out to someone only to kill them right um but at the in chapter 6 which is called the caretaker um she is on the phone uh with ma'am madam right and she said is it true that someone tried to conjure the devil here once? They made me do it. I think I'll become one of your ghost stories now. Like the decision that she makes is not to reach out for help. It is to say, nope, I'm going to go full tilt into this isolation and into the... um the aloneness of this house and I am going to become a ghost story. And of course, what comes from that is she goes in and opens up the the locked door upstairs. She, uh, somebody, I guess, from the owner of the house's friend, right, that lives in town, is at the door with the police. By the way, that police officer had the longest hair I've ever seen on a police officer. That guy with the mullet. I mean, he practically had a mullet. It kind of stood out a little bit. And it was kind of like, okay, so this guy must have been like the brother of the filmmaker or something like that. Where it was like, you know, give me a part in your movie. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's a fantastic actor and I'm just being a jerk. Um, which is uh, possible. But... When, um, when those people, the, the friend and the, uh, police make it into the house, they kind of, they see the bag of towels on the floor, which is also like bag of body parts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, basically they're so close to saving her. But then she jumps before they can get out to her. Um, And I mean, I think it's really, 
I think it's really frustrating because help was so close and she actively walked away from it and she decided you know she took that choice i'm going to actively walk away from it and whether that's because of the choices that she made previously obviously killing uh, quote unquote henry sullivan or the just the general um, isolation that she felt, I think, is is a little um, unclear. It is because, <clears throat> so we should mention that there's a scene where, you know, after she has, has like, you know, she's, she's, it appears she's killed Henry. She's stripped off his clothes and she finds his wallet. And mm -hmm. in fact, it says, on his driver's license henry but then late and she looks at it twice and it says him it says henry and i can't remember the last name sullivan sullivan so then she looked there's an, a later scene where she looks at the wallet again and all of a sudden the name that she sees is not henry sullivan anymore it's james something or other really yeah oh yeah yeah, and so then she has this moment of absolute horror. I have killed someone who wasn't Henry. So also, and, and maybe the reason that I missed James What's-His-Name is because I was noticing that with Henry Sullivan's name, the birth date it seemed to say 58 which wouldn't would not align with the time like so much of the house and whatever you could be like oh this could be any time but then there was something there was something that I was like oh no this is anachronistic um that puts us in today's time and I can't remember what it was um, where we know that it's today and not previously. Um, I can't remember what it was, I'm sorry. But um, that's interesting, I miss that. So she, she actually, real which now that you say that, it really, um, it really kind of bolsters my point from earlier where I think that she is possessed by the previous caretaker or the house or whatever. And so she was kind of this empty vessel that the house, when she went and looked at that room, the house was like, ah, oh, we got one, you know? Yeah, and it's almost like it's, I mean, at the, the way that the film ends, and this actually happens after the title credits have started right. to roll, <laughs> yeah. um, which is the reason why any of us ever go, oh, let me watch the title credits to the end, <laughs> or maybe this that comes in. So then we see... Um, once again, we see Madam, and she is introducing, she is meeting yet another young woman 
who is going to be the caretaker of the home. And she's saying to her, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but you know, this house has a history. So there's a, the whole question of like how much control, you know, did Darling ever have? Mm-hmm. If are we attracted to, if, if there's a haunted house, then are there people out there who are gonna be attracted to that house and the narrative of that house Right. And they have narratives of their of their own that make them more susceptible to being drawn to the house. And then that narrative is just going to play out. Right. And it's going to play out how many ever number of times. I mean, I was as I was thinking about the letter and like this idea of, of loneliness, I was thinking about like it's kind of an odd gig to house it for an extended extended period of time. Yeah. Because, you know, our homes are so intimate. I mean, there's just there's so much intimacy mm-hmm. that is that is that is just, you know, in our homes that we help create and a lot of times we probably don't even think about. And then like you're living in someone else's home. And you're over time. I mean, like I think if I was to do a house sitting gig, I, I would establish my rhythms. I would establish my routines. It would start to feel comfortable, but it's still not not your home. And there's a kind of a an alienation, like inside a place where we're supposed to feel in a way our are most comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking how furnished, like renting a furnished room always felt so weird to me. Like I've never done it because I don't want to use somebody else's bed. And like even, that's why hotels are often a place of like a, a, a horror trope because you don't know who's been in there before you don't know who's coming in after you like you don't know who's been in there the night before but you also don't know who's been in there 10 years before and Mm -hmm. the possibility of so many things happening in so many rooms um is terrifying (laughs) you know and, and here we are here we are all now because of COVID, we are in our homes in a way that we're never normally in our homes. Yeah. I mean, unless you don't work and for whatever reason you don't work, we are not generally in our homes every day all the time. Right, right. And now we are, now Darling is in this home, you know, almost every day all the time. Um. You kind of, it's like, okay, by choice, is it by choice? Eh. Um, like, I think that, I think that uh, saying that everyone's job is their choice is a, like, that's not uh, something that, uh it doesn't jive with reality, right? Like, yeah, I don't mean to say that. I mean, in the film, Darling is, uh, you get the sense that she chooses to stay home 
like most of the time it's difficult for her to go out also there is a mention of this guy or woman dr abbott and madam talks about dr abbott oh well you should call dr abbott um they're there any time and uh darling is like oh yes you know i will call them because is that is that Dr. Abbott? I will call them because they still owe me a payment. They still haven't given me my last payment, which makes me think that it's almost like, almost like that this is a, I almost said the word cabal, but that kind of, that kind of is what it is. Like that there is the entity behind the door and then there is the madam, right, ma'am. And then there is Dr. Abbott. Maybe Dr. Abbott is providing housekeepers with a little bit of uh, a mental instability to madam to be able to feed the beast behind the door. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's just something that occurred to me, but... It's an it's an, it's an interesting idea that, like, of course, if there's, you know, a demon, right? As chapter four suggests, then maybe that demon is having has minions, and not like the banana minions. <laughs> I never thought about that. I never thought about that. Wow. Well, you know, did we talk last time about conspiracy theories? Should we talk next time about conspiracy theories? <laughs> well, we did watch They Live last time. Oh, so, yeah. You know. Yes, we did talk about conspiracy theories last time. Continuing along the everything is not as it seems theme. Oh, gosh. Because in our world today, everything is not, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, if we were to talk about, like, from the letter, like what, how, how, what would we say? What would we say to our, our final girl about feeling lonely, wanting to reach out, feeling in, incredibly awkward to reach out. Yeah. And then in, in this film, we have a woman who, you know, is very, very shut inside herself. It's very difficult for her to interact. Um, I mean, with COVID, we have, I mean, it depends on how you view it. One could view it as a, it didn't, I mean, I think we'll all be processing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, and whether it, it like is like a trauma for us and it really depends on your experience. Have you lost people? Were you very ill yourself, uh -huh. you know? what did it do to your lively, you know, what has it done to your livelihood, to your family? Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we are, are the way we interact with one another, um, in a lot of ways is just so very different. The way we're able to relate to one another. Well, we can choose because the way we interact is different, but it doesn't have to mean that the way we relate at that deeper level 
is different. But I go back to that, what I said earlier about like, I'm tomorrow, I'm going to go see three people who I really adore. And I haven't seen them for almost a year. And I feel incredibly anxious about it because I'm going to be leaving my house and interacting with in person with humans. Yeah, I um, I went to my friend's daughter's birthday on Sunday. Um, I felt I felt terrified to go, and I wasn't going to stay because. You know, several people in our house had a stomach flu and um, I ended up, I was like, you know what? Okay, we got to return some tools to this family. I'm going to drop, we bought the, um, we bought the present. I had wrapped it. I had gotten a card. I like, there was part of me that was so excited about this and I ended up staying for maybe 45 minutes, um, terrified of even coming close to, you know, a pregnant woman who was there and um, some people who had been vaccinated but weren't wearing masks. And it was, I was more terrified that I was going to infect them because everything that you catch lately, who knows what it is, right? Um, But... I think that deep down though, the thing that I couldn't ignore that entire time is how much I wanted to hug my friends and how much I wanted to like hang out and honestly just, this sounds weird, but you know, hug the little girl, the three-year-old whose birthday it was. And to be like, we are social beings and uh, interactions and touching and hugging and even just skin on skin, you put your hand on somebody else's is part of our social fabric. And so to deny ourselves that can be very very difficult and it's not surprising to me that people are having these conflicted emotions about even communicating with other people because the very basic touch is off limits and so that has repercussions into all sorts of social things um and I don't know about you, but God, I can't, I can't wait for the moment when I can hug my parents and not feel weird about it, you know? And yeah. we've lived in this neighborhood for nine months, nearly a year. We've never shaken hands with our neighbors. And I don't think mm-hmm. I've gotten it within six feet of our neighbors. Um. It's a very weird time that we're living in. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, my living situation um, is kind of interesting in that I I have an apartment, but it's an apartment in an old house. It's, It's divided into four apartments. And so 
there are three other people who live here and we do we do interact with each other i mean we're I think we must feel like we're in some sort of little bubble, uh-huh. you know, um, because there, there is, it is only the four of us. Um, and then, and then, you know, my boyfriend, John is here and it's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, and you know, most of my time I spend in one room in my apartment, it's probably, 12 by 12 or 14 by 14 with high ceiling. So it's a nice place to be, but I spend probably 95% of my time in this room, like probably sitting on this couch. Like I don't even sit at my desk when I'm working anymore. I sit on the couch with my laptop. Right. And it's just, you know, it's, um, I don't, I don't feel lonely, but I do feel separated Mm -hmm. and I don't feel lonely, but I do feel like this is a very different, (laughs) this is a very, this is a very different, um, I'm getting used to this experience and I'm, I kind of have, I have questions about what that means. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a fairly common thing. People watching, um, uh, I don't know about you, but when I watch TV shows from before the pandemic and people are like high-fiving and hugging one another and like, you know, there's a group of four or five people really close, and I'm like, "Where are your masks? Why are you not? Why are you not masked?" And yep. uh, yeah. God, a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, I've been on the phone with my mom as I'm driving to school to get the kids, and then I hang up with her, put my um, headphones down, whatever turn off the car, get out of the car, walk into the daycare and then get to the door of my child's classroom and realize I'm not wearing a mask. And I like pull my shirt up over my face and run outside again and like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And all the teachers are like, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, no, it is a big deal. Like this is not something we need to be lax about. And... Thankfully, you know, usually going in, I don't see anyone and I don't think I've ever like come face to face with anyone else without my mask on. But I don't know that this is something that we're going to get over quickly. And I think that that's kind of okay. Yeah, I keep thinking, I mean, I know it's kind of cheesy, but it's like the expression about like different seasons for things like being uh-huh. in different seasons <clears throat> and to i finally everything learned... turn, turn, <laughs> exactly. <turn>. sorry <laughs> so i one thing i think i i think that i have learned to accept 
is I do go through these periods where I'm more down before COVID. I mean, even before COVID where I'm more down, mm-hmm. I don't want to do anything. I'm, I get kind of down about not wanting to do anything and not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. but, Let's just compound that last. feeling. You know, it doesn't last. It doesn't right. last. And I know it's, it's, there is an aspect of COVID that it is going to follow that pattern. We have gone through this and we are still in this major adjustment, but we are going to come out of it and it is going to be awkward at first, but we are not going to forget how to relate in person to other human beings. And so Mm -hmm. I think as, you know, the, um, the final girl who wrote the letter and, and all of us here are dealing with loneliness. I mean, it, it is, you, you, we've experienced other things before and we're going to experience them again. There will be something that feels like normal again. It's a good reminder. That's a really good reminder. Um, and a time to every purpose under um, heaven. Yeah. No. <laughs> no I, in one of our tweets, we'll have to do a link to that song. But is that is that bread? No, who, the birds. No, who did that? I think it might be the birds. I don't know. The birds. Yeah, I don't know why I said bread. Yeah, song by the birds. By the birds. Oh, excuse me, song by Pete Seeger. Um, But yeah, I I think that that's really important. Like, it's hard to remember that the way we are now is not the way we always have been, and it's it's not the way we always will be. Um, yeah absolutely absolutely and even if it were i have faith that technology would find us a way to connect in ways. i mean look at look at all of the new social media that has popped up and like i have you been on Clubhouse? Mm-mm. Uh, I, I have not. And a couple of people have offered me Clubhouse uh, logins and I'm like, or like invites, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I got a lot of stuff going on. I already spend an inordinate amount of time on Twitter and on TikTok now because I found TikTok and was like, oh. A minute and a half feels so long compared to the, you know, 240 characters of Twitter. Um, but I was like, nah, I can't, I can't open up a new social media time suck. Um, with yeah, all I mean, even, stuff. even as we're like in our homes, we still will make choices about where and how we need to limit our interaction. I mean, we do it. And we can still feel lonely in other areas at the same time, but we're still going to make those choices like, no, I'm not getting on Instagram because that's one more thing. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm just not going to do the one more thing. Um, There's a lot, there's a lot of (laughs) conflicting emotions about 
loneliness and engagement going on at the same time. Right. That's probably that's probably a good uh, that's as good as a place to end as any. I think. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Well, um, so a little bit of business. Um, Are we doing on? Oh, yes. Our yes. Yes, our podcast business. Yeah, yes. podcast business. Because, um, you know, as far as prescriptions go, it feels like not a great prescription, but just, you know, hold on for one more day. Okay, we have another <laughs> clip we're going to tweet. Wilson Phillips. God, I love All that song. All you out there who might not even know who they are. Ugh. We you should will you yeah to their 90s glory so. i mean come on they were in bridesmaids it should be it should be part of the like recent zeitgeist um but so send us your origin stories talk to us on dear at final deer on twitter or at or dear final girl at gmail.com um, we'd love to hear your origin stories, how you came to, uh, know and love horror. Um, we've got one coming up soon from Lady Sasha, who is on Twitter at Horror Freak, F-R-E-Q. Um, and she has a YouTube channel called What Did I Just Watch? Um, and it is awesome it is it is awesome i love i just her she's so real like sasha's just so real it's just like you can really you really know that she's a fan and the way that she talks about movies it's like you can feel her like kind of living through the different scenes mm -hmm. um and it's really cool so definitely definitely check her out on twitter and youtube and we will have her origin story soon as well as more letters yeah absolutely yeah we've been doing sort of a uh, mid-pandemic post-maternity leave uh, uh, schedule but uh, we're hoping to get you back to two letters and a origin story every month uh, soon 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 so yeah, stick soon, with soon, us soon. It, it, it helps us as well so Final girl, uh, it's been a pleasure and all the final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries yeah. out there. Stay safe and stay spooky. Yeah. Wash your hands. Wear a mask, too. <laughs> yeah, and wash your hands and wear a mask. Yeah, let's... Wear two masks. Heck. Yeah. Dr. Fauci says it's good. Double bag it. <laughs> double bag. Double bag your face. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. We'll talk all to you right, soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to pr promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too.
Take care.